Okay, so we are live. Welcome everyone and thanks for joining us today. I want to let anyone joining us that we are recording, so if you have to leave at any point, this will be uploaded to our vault where we have all of our previous conversations. So you just go to our website, subscribe, you'll get access. And you know, we're thrilled about the guests we have today. I'm humbled to be amongst them. These four DPs don't even need an introduction. You know, they each have an exciting body of work that encompasses commercials, features, documentaries, and television. So please join me in welcoming Ellen Curris, Kira Kelly, Mandy Walker, and Rena Yang. Yay! Um, before we dive into the conversation, I, we would like to take a moment of silence to honor all 578,346 reported worldwide COVID deaths as of today. We'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. So let's just take a little moment here. Thanks everyone, um, it means a lot to us. We've been holding these moments of silence for, you know, since our first roundtable, which was less than a month ago. And since then, the number of COVID deaths have gone up by over 143,000. And, you know, a lot of us are returning back to work slowly, but it's just important to remember that we are in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, we really should keep safety measures um, in mind when we're going back to work. So let's jump in now. I want to thank each of you for being here with all your time zones. It was kind of tricky to wrangle this together, but it really was really important for us to have such a diverse panel to talk about the conversation today. So, you know, we're going to discuss the future of the face of the camera department. And what I mean by that is, you know, interns and inclusivity and before we get into that, I kind of want each of you to talk about your journey to where you're at now, um, you know, in terms of how you found your passion and eventually made your way up the ladder. So Ellen, could you start us off? Uh, sure. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I've been around for a while, thankfully. Um, yeah, you know, I, I actually started out as a director trying to make a small film, which was a, a thesis film. Um, I was taking some classes at night at NYU uh, for my master's and um, was really interested in camera, but I had never been able to get my hands on a camera. Um, when I was taking that class at NYU, um, it wasn't the graduate program per se, I was doing independent study because I needed to work. And um, it was really hard for me to get into the cinematography class. And I was the only girl in the class and, um, you know, that posed its own challenges of being able even to get my hands on the camera. So when I started doing this thesis project, um, I, I, there was a cinematographer who was recommended to me and uh, we talked about what we wanted to do. And when we went out, um, you know, he was shooting, it was basically kind of a stylized documentary with some feature elements to it. And when I brought it with the material back, I was looking at it and I thought, you know, it's really well shot, beautifully done, but it didn't really speak to me. And I couldn't figure out at the time what it was, but I realized that it didn't, the, the images didn't mean anything. They didn't really have a story behind it. They were interesting images. And so I took up the camera myself and that's actually how I started shooting. I was you know, looking to see how I could put meaning together in front of the camera and tell stories. And that's how I became a cinematographer. You know, people started looking, seeing what I was shooting and they asked me to shoot for them. Um, and I was really, really fortunate early on because I shot a documentary, which wasn't a real documentary. I had to convince my best friend, one of my best friends to take me to Cambodia with her because she was doing a thesis project in Stanford, for Stanford. And she was like, well, you're not a real cinematographer. And I was like, yeah, but I want to be, you know, well, you don't have a camera. So I had to find a camera and to convince her that I knew about the people. I knew what I wanted to say. And she took me, we went and that film ended up winning 25 awards all over the world and won the 
the jury award at Sundance was established for it. And it kind of put me on the map. And so I was very fortunate in the beginning because I had opportunities to shoot for people um, like Swoon, um, some other films, and they were seen early on. So, you know, I was, I was able to, to be offered these opportunities. And as I started progressing in the film industry, you know, I was oftentimes the only woman there. I was oftentimes the only girl on set. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't take that as a badge of being a victim. I, I just knew I wanted to do certain kinds of work. I was trying to say certain things. And, um, but I realized that other people haven't had that kind of opportunities. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm here. One of the reasons why I try to be as active as possible is to encourage people to, um, to look for those opportunities, but also on the other side, to encourage people to give women cinematographers and young cinematographers of, of anybody, men, women, you know, people of color, an opportunity to be able to express themselves because, you know, they can do it. You just have to give them a chance. Yeah, totally. Um, we lost Rena while we started talking there. She has some Wi-Fi issues, which she'll be on shortly. But Kira, could you uh, could you talk a little bit about your past? Sure. Um, yeah. So I um, I was a big fan, like from a young age, just of television and movies in general. And so I was definitely a consumer <laughs> of uh, all those things. And I found myself like. Um, I really I found myself in a position where like I had a still camera and I was able to really start taking stills and this is all still in high school. And um, I just really suddenly started thinking of the idea of like, oh, I wanna make a movie. I'd never been on a set, never even gotten close. Um, but some, and I, you know, I couldn't have told you what the difference between a director or a producer did, but I knew that I you know, wanted to figure out what this was. Um, so I went to, oops. <laughs> I went to uh, school and I, I, you know, of course, like I worked in a lot of different departments and a lot of different shoots. And on this one shoot, I found myself in the lighting department. And I just remember being so, just so excited by like, you know, like setting up the C stands and the flags and the diffusion. And I just suddenly was really into this idea of, you know, lighting this frame and the space around it that the audience never sees, but like, you know, they see the effect of all that. So lighting is kind of like what ended up hooking me I think partially because I, I was also nervous to be in the camera department because I was like, if I drop a lens, my mother's going to have to pay for it. So it's like I knew that if I broke a light, it was a little less expensive to replace. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, I, I shot a lot and uh, in school. And when I left school, I um, went to New York and I kept shooting as much as I could. A lot of that was documentary. Um, and then I worked as an electrician. So I got on sets and I was able to work as an electrician for uh for many years and then kind of like on the, in that atmosphere i was able to really look at like what other dps what what dps were doing and like on budgets that i could never afford on any of my shoots and like really sort of learn about lighting and i always liked i always wanted to be like the onset electric because then i could really be you know part of it and kind of see how first of all how set was run how you know people did things like how lighting was done and i just loved being on set um, and so, you know, from there, like um, the gaffer I usually worked with started to shoot. And so then he kind of was, you know, told all of his clients to hire me as, an, as the gaffer. And I really started being able to do more in that space. And like I said, the whole time I was trying to shoot as much as I can. And in 2007, I got my first chance to shoot um, uh, my first feature. And uh, we shot on Super 16 and it was this musical and it was awesome, like very super low budget. But I just remember being at that point of like, okay, this is, this is it. This is kind of like, it was that time, I think that so many people get in their career of like, okay, I, can, I have to just say I'm a DP. And um, so I stopped gaffing and there were a, a few lean and mean years in New York, <laughs> not really, um, you know, making much money or not really working that much, but just kind of tried to stay focused on that. And um, then I uh, decided to move to LA and I was able to, you know, start getting a little bit more established here as a DP and, and working more. And yeah, and so now it's like my, I, I end up shooting a lot of docs, narrative pieces and as much as possible. So, yeah. 
That's amazing. I mean, what you mentioned when you were talking about how you kind of like looked in the lens and then you saw everything that went into that. That's a little bit of yeah. what, what we're trying to get across here. It's demystifying this whole process. Cause you know, you go and yeah. see a movie and if you have never been on a set before, you're completely unaware of every single detail that you don't see within the frame. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Rena, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, fashionably late. I was like, we were chatting, and then we were like, ah, nah, nah. and then this I'm like, Wi-Fi's gone. What happened? <laughs> anyway, it's, the, it's, yeah. it's the great thing about doing things remotely. It's <laughs> uh, on my phone. <laughs> okay, <hi>. perfect. <laughs> now we were just talking about um, everyone's path, and Mandy, okay. could you take us next through your journey, and then we'll have Rena talk. Yep, sure. Hi, everybody. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be a cinematographer when I was about 14 and it was for me it was because um, I loved art and photography I love cinema and my parents had taken me to cinema from when I was about two years old and and also I saw and also they introduced me to a lot of foreign language films too when I was still in high school and um, so I sort of felt like the natural place for me to go was cinematography um, and uh, and storytelling. I was interested in storytelling. So when I was about 18, I started university, but I managed to get a job on a feature film as a PA runner. And I left university and this was like, I was so excited. And then um, while I was doing that job, I would talk to the camera department and say, this is what I really want to do. Can any of you help me out? And by the end of the movie, we got along really well and they would let me help them. I was carrying gear for them and, you know, just helping out a little on set. And um, they put me on to um, a friend of theirs who was making a documentary and I went and worked with them for nothing, just hanging out and learning how to use a, a camera, a film camera, 16 mil film camera in those days and um, to load. And then, Progressively, I went on to, I was a film loader on um, for about two or three years, and then I was a focus puller. And uh, then I got together with a guy, um, I was working with a guy called Ray Argel, who basically became my, my mentor. This was in Australia, in Melbourne, and um, where he was a DP, and he, I was focus pulling for him, and then I was operating for him, and then he went on to direct a feature film and um, asked me to shoot it. And before then, I'd just been doing little student films. I was reaching out to everybody I knew and um, through friends and acquaintances through that company I was working with, um, I was trying things. You know, I was shooting little music videos and little um, short dramas and uh, went on to shoot a couple of documentaries as well. And uh, then when he directed his first feature film, I shot that. And, and one, you know, thing about the way that I learned that I was really um, excited about and pleased that I did was that I, as I was um, working, I was learning and I was on sets with other DPs and directors and got to see that relationship and got to see different relationships and how they worked and how different DPs worked. And um, so that to me was a great, um, great um, learning curve that I'm glad, I'm really glad I did it that way. And, and I sort of, one thing I always say is I saw the things I also didn't want to do. And I saw some DPs that I worked with <clears throat> that I thought as I was growing up, I don't want to be like them. I would like to be like this person here. And so for me, that was a really great experience. And just to understand the hierarchy of, of um, being on set and how a film set works was really important. But the, the main thing was that um, I just kept uh, shooting little things all the time and trying things and experimenting and having a camera on a weekend and, and, um, and testing stuff. And so when uh, one good, great thing that happened to me was when Ray did direct his film and I got to shoot it. He didn't tell me what to do. He kind of threw me in the deep end and said, well, you you know the relationship and you're, you're going to be in charge of, of um, the cinematography and off you go. And, and it was a big jump for me. I was still only 25. And, um, and so 
I'd been moving, I moved from sort of doing little tiny things with no money to a very low budget film, but it was a, a feature film working um, on a bigger project. And it was great because then when I went on to work with other directors, I felt more confident because he didn't baby me through it. You know, he sort of, he had prepped me up, I suppose, up until that point. And then I went on to shoot films in Australia and moved to the United States about 15 years ago and um, have been living and working out of there. Amazing. Yeah, this is such, such a passion. Um, Rena, why don't you close yep. us off? Oh, okay. That's a, that's, a, that's a big task. Um, so I'm originally from Japan. Um, I live in London now, um, but I shoot kind of all over. Um, I moved to London about 13, 14 years ago. Just at first, just to study English because um, I wanted to, you know, have a second language. Like I wanted to be able to speak English, and I was just going to stay here for six months. But then I ended up staying here a bit longer, and I just kind of ended up going to film school uh, for a weird reason. Um, and then um, at the interview, uh, when I was trying to get into film school, they asked me what I wanted to do, and I just didn't know anything about filmmaking. I said, I guess I want to direct. <laughs> And then, uh, so I, I literally didn't know that, you know, there's like editor and cinematographer, I had no knowledge. Um, so yeah, I uh, studied um, practical filmmaking for two years, where I had to do, say, directing, editing for a couple of years. And then, I guess during that time, I realized that, you know, I don't want to direct. And I thought I was going to be an editor because I quite enjoyed editing. Um, but then at some point I realized I didn't like the footage I was getting. I was like, why didn't I, you know, so I need like, <laughs> like shot here. And then why didn't I shooting it like this? And, and I also didn't really enjoy sitting in front of the computer for a very long time. <laughs> so then I, we had, we actually only had like two to three weeks of cinematography at film school, but that was the module I enjoyed the most. Um, so I decided to kind of self-teach myself how to, Shoot something because when I was at film school, that was when like Red One came out and um, the digital fast wave of digital. So, you know, and I guess it was more accessible, but although I didn't like Red One, so I tried to learn how to shoot on 16 myself. Um, so I would hire the 16 mil camera and do my own thing. And uh, I was working as a trainee and, uh, you know, just on very small shoots on weekends and summer holidays. I'm just kind of trying to get on set experience. And that was the beginning. And after film school, I worked as a loader for a couple of years. And then on kind of, you know, behind my boss's back, I was kind of working as a, an electrician on very small shoots because I always wanted to touch those, like the big lamps on the cables looked quite interesting. <laughs> and then the really rustling, noisy gel that they put on, I said, what are they? <laughs> I want to know what they're doing. And, so um, I did a bit of sparking and I used to gaffer for my friends and make little short films. Uh, so then I took a leap to become a DOP. Uh, well, I didn't think I was becoming a DOP, but I just kind of had to when my bosses found out I was kind of shooting. And uh, so then I started shooting short films, then progress, you know, then to music videos, to kind of cutting my teeth on smaller projects, then to say smaller commercials, then bigger campaigns. And I guess so I started shooting long form narrative uh, last year. Um, yeah, I was reading scripts for a few years, but I was kind of reluctant to take on anything that I felt like I should do. Um, so yeah, I did a Netflix show last year and then I did another film this year. And then, yeah, that's uh, kind of doing all sorts of things. That's me. <laughs> You mentioned that, you know, when you were first at film school, it was kind of the first push for digital. So were they yeah. teaching you fit, like how to process film or how to load film? Or were they just like, well, there's no, a digital camera, like, you're going to learn on that. No, like Sony Z1 was like, uh, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, do you guys do you remember Sony Z1? <laughs> we used to put like weird adapter, <laughs> you know, to, to arm more depth of field. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> That was us. <laughs> and then, and then wow. trying to, you know, work with Red One where it takes like three minutes to start up and we're like, what is this? <laughs> and then, but um, we had one or two days with film camera, but I was really curious how that works. So I was more into shooting on film and then I did, I shot my graduation film um, on 16 and the other one was Red One, but um, 
Do you yeah. feel like it gave you a leg up that you taught yourself how to shoot on film because maybe directors were more interested to work with you because you had that knowledge? Uh, it helped in the beginning because my generation, of, you know, when we were coming up, young DPs, um, there weren't many who shot on film, I guess, but I had a little bit of experience, uh, so it helped in the beginning. Um, but uh, now, yeah, I'm not sure if it, but it, yeah, it definitely helps to have right. both. It gave you that <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, honestly, it's very empowering to hear each of you mm. and all of your journeys, especially, you know, as four women with very different backgrounds, you know, hearing that journey when we're talking about inclusion is important. You know, I remember being in film school, having to do projects where I'd have to like research the crew and I'd either look at, you know, stills on set or read the IMDb and I was like, okay, these are all men or I'd see the stills. I'm like, these are all like white men and, you know, yeah. as a woman and a Latina woman, it was a little, you know, it wasn't encouraging at all. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was a little baffling, but um, one of the ways in which we can ensure, you know, having more inclusion on set is to have production, um, you know, make a conscientious effort to hire minorities. And I mean, it's you all as department heads, you kind of have that ability to push for it. And Mandy, you know, you've had success abroad bringing on interns or, you know, mentoring people on set. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, your journey into that? Um. Well, in Australia, it was um, something that because I had learned a lot of what I know from observing and being on set, I didn't go to film school, as I said, um, I thought it was really important. And also, I think that um, a lot of people have an idea about being on set and being a cinematographer, but until you actually are there and watching and, and, and learning on a you know, professional set, you know, you're sort of guessing, I suppose, in terms of process. And um, also, uh, like I was saying, relationship with the director is really important. And, and um, that's something I took a lot out of by observing that. But so I always have interns and mentors, um, mentees on set and um, attachments. And in Australia, um, whenever I was doing a movie, I would have maybe one or two that would come on for six weeks at a time. And then um, in Canada, I know um, when I've been shooting there, the union have um, provided um, an intern or a couple of interns. I give, again, give them each six or eight weeks um, and have a turn and they um, pay them and insure them. And the same in New Zealand. So I'm I, I'm very conscious of doing that all the time and, and being able to spend time with them at lunchtime or get them to come to dailies and see the process and see the whole, you know, um, what my job is basically and, and um, the running of a set, which is something that, you know, it takes a really long time to learn that, I think, that, that um, because... I remember when I first started and I suppose like a lot of people and like Ellen was saying, you think that cinematography is making pretty pictures and it's not. It's about serving the story and it's about working with the director and helping them tell their story. And that's the most important part of your job. And then, you know, you learn to be able to run a set and run a crew and be able to collaborate and communicate uh, clearly, and um, that time is is really important, and, and preparation, and being organised, and so sort of things are things that I try and teach and get people to be aware of, because it's the part of the job that you that I didn't learn until I actually was on a, on a big set. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very, and I have um, mentees as well that that sometimes that are uh, in other countries that I talk to on the phone and just try and. Um, to uh, advise them and if they send me questions or whatever, but, but having someone physically there, I think is, is the best way to do that. Yeah, Ellen, could you talk a little bit about, you know, your work in that? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, Mandy, because um, one of the things about, you know, being a cinematographer is we're directors of photography, you know, we are managers on set. And, and part of what I find or I try to teach that's really important is that as a DP, you get to set the tone. 
I mean, the director sets one tone, but as the person who's running the crew, everybody, I mean, we're the ones who run the set next to the mm. ADs, basically. I mean, oftentimes I'm running the set because I'm the one who's setting the clock, so to speak. So, but the tone is really important. You know, how you treat people is, is really important um, and how you, how you get your job done. So, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many stories I hear from other people and other crew people about how DPs are so nasty and that the moment they get into this hierarchical position of, you know, being, you know, the person who's in charge and person in power, you know, they start wielding their power in ways that are not useful to the set. But, you know, mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's a way of teaching people the way that things can be, that you don't have to be an asshole in order to be good, you know, that you mm -hmm. can be a really effective leader and get a lot done and, and have your crew follow you and respect your crew and they'll respect you. And, you know, it's so important to learn that as well as the craft. You know, so there's the craft of actually knowing, you know, where to put the lights or, you know, how you're going to do those, those tracking shots. And it's a whole other thing to, you know, the, the tone on set, the tone of what you're trying to do, the story you're trying to tell, how you deal with your director, you know, the preparation. And, and one thing that Mandy said that was, was absolutely the bottom line is making your days. I mean, that's something that I always always have in mind is that part of your job is not to sit there and ruminate over you know oh well this or that you know you don't have time you have to make your days that's part of your job because otherwise it screws up everything down the line so within reason and the other thing that i think that has always been really important to me as a person is being that leader meaning that you know being the leader of the crew and also being the person who protects them I mean, when I first started shooting independent films, non-union independent films way, way back when, I would always have the crew deal memos written into my deal memo before I would sign it. Because if they knew that they would have me, then they would try to get the crew for whatever they wanted. So, so you know, it's, it taught me that I need to protect them because otherwise they don't have a leg to stand on. And it's really served, I know it served me well. I have crew people I've worked with for many years and I you know all around the world and, and people will work for me because they know that it's not only about you know getting what you have up on the screen but it's about everything else it's a philosophy in a way of life I mean for as much time as we spend on crew which is for me you know been most of my life that you know I, I want it to be the best experience and I want to be the best most effective leader that I possibly can I mean it it trickles down, you know, the, the, the leader in Washington, you know, is, is, is we're leaders just like their leaders. And so you have to set the example by what you do every day. So, um, but anyway, I mean, just talking about interns, you know, the, the, it's been a struggle for me throughout my entire career to be able to get interns on because of the insurance issue with studios. Um, um, we've, we talked about it for, you know, a long time. I've always, you know, we individually have been struggling to try and get people on. And the unions used to have a training program and, and then they don't have that anymore. And I said to the, the unions, I said, how do you expect people to get trained? You know, mm -hmm. how do you expect them to get into the union? How are you going to get union hours if there's no way to train how, you know, I mean, it's, it's a catch 22. So the unions, you know, there needs to be some sort of structure, put it back into place. And I think Kira, you were talking earlier on another webcast about Canada, how they have that in place. And it's really useful that the unions have stepped in and they, they have, there has to be some sort of institutional structure for that to happen. But, you know, on the other side, being part of the academy, I know that Mandy and I are part of the academy branch and we're governors and we've also been talking with all the rest of the academy people or academy governors about trying to uh, find a way that there, that there could be insurance provided for the certain people 
uh, whomever, people of, you know, diversity groups of everyone to be able to try and train people. Because in order to create a diverse group of filmmakers, we need to provide the opportunities and do we have to provide the training so that people can actually get jobs, you know? Um, 100%. I mean, a question I have is when you've approached unions and asked why they got rid of their training programs, I mean, what, what was kind of some of the reasoning behind that? They don't really back then, I mean, this is going back a number of years ago, they didn't really have an answer. They're like, oh, well, we can't afford it. But I think they can, you know, it's like when you think about, you know, the local 600 has one of the best health insurance policies anywhere in the world. You know, I think that that they can look at their, you know, the PNW and figure out where how they can make some room for that because, and there has to be something which is institutionalized, I think. It has to be part of the union training program. It's not going to cost them that much money, you know, or to allow for a camera PA position. You know, that was the thing. There used to be a camera PA position. And then there was, I don't know when they stopped that. But I remember my camera assistant, Carlos, and I talking about who's going to be the camera PA because it was such a key place. It was a jumping point for that person, you know, to get into the union, to get their hours, and to be able to move forward. Right. Kira, could you talk a little bit about your experience with all of this? Sure, yeah. I, I think for, for me, with... Um, like I spent a long time when I was an electrician and a gaffer, I was non-union in New York. And um, some of the, I think when I was coming up, I just took for granted that my two of the main uh, gaffers that hired me were both women. I learned from one of the best, best boys in New York at the time, Nicole Corre, like how to, how to be an electrician on set. And so I worked with crews that had a lot of women. I worked with crews that had a lot of like black men, Latino men, people of color all over. And I just kind of took it for granted that that's what a set looked like. Um, it wasn't until I joined the union that I found myself a lot of times being the only woman on set and then also the only black woman on set or the only person of color. And I'm here I am like, I joined the union um, as a DP. So that was suddenly in 600. And so it's like this thing of, what happened between like the non-union world and the union world that we can kind of figure out to get more people in, in, in union positions. Um, and I think it's something that Mandy is also was talking about, like in, in Canada, I was able to do a job there. And uh, what they did was this trainee program that basically you'd have one trainee, I think it was like three to four weeks on one set. They would learn everything. They would work within the department. They would have to then get a letter from the first AC saying how they did. They would take that to the union. And then they would go to another, another set and then do the same process. So not only are they learning practical, like hands-on knowledge of how to work in a camera department, but they're also getting contacts because now they've worked with two, three different camera crews that they can call later when they're approved to work for future jobs. So I feel like, yeah, I think there's a bigger conversation about hiring all that. And I feel like the union is a place where we can really start to, I mean, it's like the place where we can really start to make inroads of like, how do we make positions for young women? How do we make positions for people of color? And just to be able to start being options for jobs. Yeah, totally. Rena, um, mm -hmm. you have had success during these mm -hmm. times of COVID when, you know, it's kind of complicated to have these conversations about bringing people on set when you couple yeah. that with a pandemic and you know everyone's mm. kind of saying like we have to be very strict about the amount of people we have on a set yeah. but you know yeah. you've been posting on Instagram that you want to invite people to shadow you so could you just talk a little bit about you know what the impetus was to post about that and just the response that's happened yeah um so I always had the same messages in the emails from like you know the filmmakers and camera assistants around the world that you know whether they could come join me on what, whichever the city I was shooting in and so, you know it's been like a few years but then I was I wasn't really able to bring them on or reply to everyone because I guess you know back then I didn't really feel ready to have someone shadowing me or and I was shooting and traveling back to back, just excuses. Um, but then the the lockdown happened, and I had time to reflect on you know what I'd been doing, and 
you know, not really kind of contributing to the, the next generation of filmmakers. And when I have all these kind of messages and, you know, that I could kind of reply to maybe meet these people. Um, so I just thought maybe, and then I had the shoots coming up. <laughs> then I thought, why don't I just, you know, just bring my interns and I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and then I asked a couple of producers if that would be an issue. Because I, I had this ins you know, insurance, I was concerned about that and I, whether I could just bring it, bring them on and they said, no, that should be okay in, you know, with these upcoming shoots. So I decided to uh, do that. Um, um, yeah, and then it's been quite overwhelming, but it's also good. I've had, I've met quite a few um, interns now. I don't know, I don't know, calling them interns is a bit weird, but they, yeah, they came to kind of meet me on set and I've had a few so far. Um, yeah, it's been quite interesting meeting those people and then the shoots this week, um, a few joining us. Um, to shadow us on set. Um, I mean, I know that there are like a lot of charities and in you know, a scheme that they already exist and it's ongoing and this has been discussed. But I thought that uh, because I have say, young filmmakers um, you know, around the world following me, I thought, why don't I just shout about it? And just like <laughs> as a good reminder, because if I, every shoes I have, if I'm saying, hey, like, you know, come join me and maybe it's a good reminder for like, people in my community to also do the same. And also because I shoot a lot of short films and commercials and music videos, I can have more people come get on-set experience rather than say having one intern for a film, say for like six months. I could be having like 20 people a month, like say come join and see what they're interested in. Cause I'm not saying that they have to be cinematographers. Um, some people who come on set so far, they've realized that they want to, you know, the lighting as in like work in the lighting department. So, you know, I can connect them with, lighting and dancers and gaffers so I think um, yeah I think I'll try and keep uh, posting <laughs> about it and also I like the ease of just you know it's as simple as just messaging me there's no you know you have to go to film school or, you know they don't have to have any education um, just they can just pop me a message and then you know they don't have to uh, I guess they go through the selection process of this kind of other training scheme um so i'm trying to keep it simple <laughs> yeah let's see how that goes but it's interesting to hear that it's going to be really tricky with the union shoots <laughs> i was uh, i have a couple of um, shoots abroad coming up so i'll, I'll try <laughs> and see what happens <laughs> well i guess mandy and ellen i mean all of you what kind of suggestions, what kind of conversations can we have for it to be less tricky? I mean, Ellen, something that you've mentioned is if, you know, they're an intern and they're not really touching any of the equipment, then it's easy if they're just insured by the production and then the union doesn't really have to step in. But I just like to hear a little bit more about what you think. Well, it's tricky. Are. I mean, I, uh, when I was on, um, it's actually the first television thing I did uh, a while ago as a DP. Um, and I wanted to bring an assistant on and uh, it was absolutely no. I mean, they wouldn't put her up. She was in Atlanta. They wouldn't put her up. Um, she'd have to work as a local, which I get, which was fine because I was willing to put up some money for it. But um, the big thing was the insurance thing that she just couldn't come on and just shadow me she had to be working on the production so i had to really twist their arm to hire her as a pa and and then not for her to be a pa that was with me not a pa that was doing traffic so that's the other thing you know they figured if they're hiring somebody who's a pa that they're going to want to use them you know in another department or to use them to do runs or something like that and i'm like the person can't learn that way they have to be there so I can actually train them and teach them about what's going on. So um, I, I think that, you know, in the US it's a little more tricky, but that's why we're trying to kind of institute bigger change on the level of the unions, but the studios. And we're mostly talking about studios because in commercials, for example, um, Anna Hashmi, who's, uh, who runs a corner shop, who's the owner of the corner shop and the EP of the corner shop where I'm a director, she's always has people on set. She's, she's really somebody who, you know, makes sure that they're insured, has people on set so that they can be trained and giving people, mm -hmm. you know, a leg up. And she's really 
you know, been promoting a lot of women of color, you know, to come and, and be shadows. But that's, I think, one place where it can really happen. But it's a, you know, it's different being in commercials than it is being on a movie, and it's a completely different thing. So that's the thing is that we have to try and um, lobby, I think, the unions have to lobby, and, and we in the academy are trying to lobby the studios to make changes in their policy to allow to have a certain number of interns or PAs who are dedicated to that department mm -hmm. um, to be able to be there. You know, because, because the insurance issue is such a big one. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I mean, on the other side, um, I actually, years and years ago, um, I did a workshop for producers, believe it or not, um, through, I think it was CSC, where I just said, you know what, there's so many producers, women producers who don't know, they've never laid their hands on a piece of equipment that they're ordering. And we're talking UPMs, line producers who've been doing it for 25 years, and they had never, ever looked through the viewfinder of the camera. So I did a producer for that, uh, a workshop for them. So, you know, workshops, I think, are really important because it enables people to find, you know, there's a sphere of trust and, and you know, there's hands-on experience and that kind of thing. Um, and that's one way of doing it. I think that we can do it, you know, on our own is to instigate, you know, try to, you know, introduce those kind of, of avenues. But I think it's really institutional, you know, that we need to make, change it on that level in order to make real change happen in order to see people of, of color, you know, come into the union, then the union, I think, you know, it would be important for them to make real steps in that direction to, you know, start a training program again. Can I just say something too, uh, uh, to further that is, um, the ASC have a vision committee. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that, which is a, um, a committee to encourage diversity in the ASC and and in the you know generally in, in cinematography, and just recently I was talking to Amy Vincent and Cynthia Pushek and Johnny Simmons who are all heading that committee and um, uh, Alan and I had been talking about this with them too is is to reach out and they have a mentorship program there which is a great mentorship program, but they're, in, uh, they're moving forward to talk to um, the local 600, the union and um, to the SOC. And now they've started talking to studios about the ASC and that committee being involved in a mentorship um, training program and on-set training program and, and to be able to bring it back as Ellen was saying. So it's something that, um, they also, I mean, they already have um, uh, masterclasses and they've started more practical masterclasses at Panavision. They did one last year. And also keeping a database of, of, um, of uh, people coming up in the camera department to be able to keep in contact, you know, and, and to move forward with that. So, I, you know, I would encourage people if they, you know, wanted to be involved in that to, to reach out to the Vision Committee because they're, they're doing really great things. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a good point. I'm curious, have you ever had backlash for bringing on uh, someone to shadow you? Like, has there ever been crew members who just feel like a job's being taken? And if so, like, what, what have you done about it? Anyone? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. It's only been no. a great thing for me. Um, we actually, someone in the audience mentioned that rental houses could have um, training programs, which actually I have a friend who's now a DP and she learned that way. She worked for a rental house and just learned how to use all of their equipment like that. Do you guys know of any rental houses that do something like that? I think REUK on Panavision, they bring people on. I mean, I, I think it's it's a good way to learn, but at the same time, you know, I you know, I feel like people I meet at rental houses, houses, some people, you know, they're dying to be on set, and they, you know, get the on set experience. So, you know, the the brain works differently. You know, like knowing how how to build a camera, to you know how to behave on set is, 
you know, I think onset experiences, I think it's better in my opinion, but I guess it's good to have a basic <laughs> yeah, tech knowledge before they step on set. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think, you know, people get stuck in the rental house, mm. you, know, you know what I mean? They tend to get, you know, you know, the, you know, that, that it, it, it's really hard to get out of that. It's mm. kind of like making the move, you know, and convincing people to take you on. I mean, the, really the best way is, you know, that you show yourself uh, if you are an intern or if you're somebody who's new to set and you're allowed to do things and allowed to touch things that you're anticipating. I mean, that is such a key way of showing what, what your drive is, what your passion is, how you're thinking ahead of certain things, how you're listening and learning things and, and whether you're paying attention, all of that. I mean, for someone like me, I can, I immediately notice someone who is actively thinking who's on their feet, who's paying attention all the time, who's not on their phone. You know, you notice things like that as a, as a department head. I mean, all of you guys are shaking your hands. I mean, heads, you're, you know, you know, you know that there's that person that, who has that spark and that you're willing to take the time with to take to the next step, you know? So that's, it's a really key place to prove yourselves, you know? Um, so, so that's why I think that the training, reinstituting the training program is kind of key. I mean, I wasn't aware of this in Canada because I haven't worked there as a GP for a long time, but I think it's fantastic that they, they, they have that in place. It's something that someone can work towards to try and get to. And like Kira was saying, so much about what we do also has, to, and where you get your next job is word of mouth. I mean, it's so key is those contacts that you have with other people. And, um, you know, the, whoever you, you run into who's going to make the suggestion to you of you to someone else. And it could be anybody in any of the departments. I mean, that's exactly how I got started by, you know, proving on set and then keeping, you know, communicating to the camera department that was on the set that I was on, that that's what I want to do. And then somebody gave me a job you know, or, or forward me on to a friend who, like you said, that, and I think you learn a lot about, um, you know, because I see a few people are asking about, um, you know, how to behave on set and it's something that you do learn and to be humble and to be kind to each other and to be, you know, there's a way of, of getting what you want without being an arsehole, like Ellen was saying. And, and I think you, that, communication is it's not just about technical things it's it's mm -hmm. that is it's really important to work out the dynamics mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think being a leader and not striking fear and the people around you will just take you so much further um yeah. I mean I've seen it firsthand when you're on a set and either the DP or the director just has this terrifying presence and the crew you know will get stuff done because you know they're scared of them but ultimately mm. the whole experience is just an anxiety ridden roller coaster and filming is already a roller coaster you don't need to add you know fear on top of that yeah um <laughs> and and i have to say yelling is not a way to get things done i mean no. it doesn't work people when you if somebody's yelled at they immediately go outside of their mind's eye and they're watching themselves being yelled at. And so mm -hmm. you, you, you know, if you're the person being yelled at or if, you know, you're doing the yelling, it's, it's not a very effective way of, of running a set or being a leader. There are other ways to do things where you can, you know, you can actually talk it out or you can pull the person aside and say, what is that about? you know, let's talk about that. I mean, I actually did pull somebody aside. On the very first movie, I was working as an electrician, the fourth electrician. And I felt like the gaffer, who's somebody I knew, you know, was making me do this coiling up this cable. This is going back many, many years. This is probably 1983. And Whoa. You know, I just felt like he was, you know, it was something about it. And I saw, I went over to him and I said, hey, what's going on? What's, so what's the meaning of this? You know, I, you know I, I'm happy to do this, but if you're making me do this just to show me that you have, you know, power over me, 
it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't know what you're trying to prove, you know, and he realized, you know, and you can get different reactions about that. It's a very, you know, you have to navigate the terrain, but also, I mean, I, I've found just in navigating that kind of stuff is that I, 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 I never made myself a victim. Like I didn't go into it saying like, Oh, you know, I'm a woman. I didn't really have a chance. Uh, I went into it thinking, this is what I want to do and respecting people and hoping that they respect me and just knowing my stuff. And if I didn't to ask someone and just knowing that, you know, you, you know, you're going to, you know, the, everybody experiences ups and downs and you just have to make a joke about it or throw a one liner out there and then carry on because really what's important is the work in front of you and what you're trying to do together. So I know it's really hard because some people, you know, it's like this kind of reaction and just have to go like, okay, um, let me just move through that. And sometimes you just have to ignore it and move on because if you let it get to you, that, that, that's exerting that power on you. You have to just move forward through it. Um, and it's not easy sometimes, but it's another reason why on set, it's so very important to have, your crew, you know, and be respectful to your crew. I cannot tell you, my crew was incredibly essential to me throughout my entire career because there would be times where there's bullshit on set and I would turn to my gaffer who I worked with, you know, ultimately before he retired, you know, 23 years we worked together. And I would say to him, I'd be like, John, you know, you know, I want to scream. And he'd be like, okay, you know, and he would, you would give me a hug or we'd go, you know, and then we would carry on from there. It's so key. Your crew, your inner circle is so key. Your camera assistants. I mean, the thing I miss the most now is that the camera assistants are 20 miles away with their heads buried in their monitors. Right. <laughs> and I constantly have to go, guys, cat, or whoever it is, you know, it's like bring the monitor over here and be next to me. I want to be able to talk to you because that relationship was so uh, important, so intimate and powerful is, you know, talking about where you're going to put the focus or just, you know, th thinking aloud about ideas and things like that. I mean, you know, there was a question here I saw about eternal sunshine and I, Carlos was next to me the whole time. I mean, oftentimes Carl would be on the camera and we were constantly bouncing around, but we, we were like a unit. You know, so I would encourage you, you know, to protect your crew. They're your people, you know, and, and use them as your sounding boards because, you know, you talking about wielding power, you don't wield power over people, you wield power together as a group. And, and when I think about what's happening now with the BLM movement, the power people together is huge, you know, so, so that, so remember that when you're on set, you know, it's like you want to bring people together rather than, you know, you being at the top alone there at the top of the pile. And it's not as much fun anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very lonely. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a couple questions come in and I want to just, you know, spend the last 15 minutes or so getting into these. Um, so, Eileen is wondering, you know, financially starting off in the film industry has its risks. Low rates and shooting low budget films is kind of how you get yourself on the radar. Did any of you have to do anything else to make ends meet? And at one point, did you find yourself stable enough in your career financially? You just have, have to be, oh, sorry, you want to go? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we can just talk simultaneously. I'll tell you. Okay. You <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was gonna say you're just kind of gonna be broke for two years. No, <laughs> it's just like I remember, like when I was a camera assistant, and I got paid like seventy-five quid a day, and I was like, "Wow, I'm gonna get paid!" And I was so excited. <laughs> uh, but um, when I was starting, I, I used to do some weird, like corporate camera operate, operating jobs for like events and things. You know, you kind of show up on hold the pamba for like an hour during the conference press record 
mm-hmm, and they just go home. <laughs> that kind of thing. And that was, I guess, my side hustle while I was shooting short films and indie videos. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? What were you going to say, Kira? Sorry. Uh, no, no. And um, I was, I was fortunate in that, like my, so I set it up so that my side hustle was being an electrician. And so it's like this mm. thing of like, you know, trying to shoot as many projects as I could. Um, but then really sort of like my rent job was also the place where I learned the most, you know, and I think what, what happens is that, you know, I think I was, you know, that was in my early twenties and suddenly as an electrician, you're making 500 a day, or maybe it was 450 back then. It's a lot of money. And so it's like the, mm-hmm. the thing that you end up like, try, I tried to remember, remind myself then. And I try to talk to whenever I talk to young DPs now, of just like, try to hold on to a little bit, at least, Mm. you know, when you're starting off, because you are going to want to make that transition from whatever, whether it's from ACing to DPing or from gaffing to DPing, you want to give yourself a little bit of a cushion so that you are able to, because, um, yeah, I feel like that if you're able to figure out a way where your, your side hustle or your rent job is something that puts you on set and like puts you front row to really be able to learn things, then it's, it's pretty great. Um, did yeah. you find also that working, you know, not as a DP, working for DPs, it also kind of helped shape how you wanted to be a cinematographer? 100%, 100%. I feel like there's so much, I think that, you know, I would, you know, see different DPs come in and see how they, like some of them like would have, you know, very clear, like I want this light there, this light there, this sort of diffusion. And then I'd see another style that was just like, oh, I want this sort of feel coming in from this way and this, like you, there's a million different personalities of a DP. There's a million different relationships that a DP has with a director. Like every shoot that I work on, I have a different relationship with a director. And I feel like there's a lot of different ways that, that it can go. And the more that people are able to like view that, like there's only so much you can get from watching the behind the scene videos. Like it really helps mm-hmm. to be able to put yourself in that space and see what the, what the hierarchy is. Um, and I feel like it's also just like a comfort zone thing of just like being able to go on set and realize like, oh yeah, this person is helping this person and this kind of help, uh, this works together. And yeah, it, it definitely helped. Can I just say one more thing about that too? Because I think as well as running your crew and, um, you know, what everybody's been talking about in that sense is that it's really important that the actors and the directors feel comfortable with how your set is run. Like Mm. they have to feel they're in a safe place, that there's not people yelling and there's not aggression Mm. on set. And it's it's our, our part of our job is that, that our director feels that like they're, they're, they're in a place where they can be creative and not have tension. And the same with the performers. It's really important that they feel safe. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And part of that is the attitude too of the camera crew, you know, um, you know, like the biggest dolly and moving to the, you know, center stage and they, you know, suddenly it becomes all important. And mm-hmm. I'm always trying to use, you know, the super peewee to be as tiny as possible, you know, <laughs> or it's like, I want to disappear in some ways. I want, I want all the camera crew and everything to go, you know, to disappear so the actors can have that safe space and be in their mind's eye. And, yeah. you know, and whether you're hand-holding in front of them or, you know, whether you're moving the camera gear around, but it's like, you are not the most important thing on set. You know, you're just trying to work carefully to get the camera in where it's, you know, being part of the action or witnessing. Mm. And, and, you know, it, it's an ego thing. It's a huge thing about ego and, and looking mm. at ego and who wields their ego on set and how they do that. And, you know, it's, it's like, if you don't put your ego into it, you can have much more collaborative relationships, I think, because, it's about the work. It's not about you. It's about what you're trying to say. Yeah. I think like when I, when I was, you know, even DPing now, it's like, I will like up until the very last minute, it's just like, I'm looking at the monitor like, oh, that thing, or I can change that, that, that quick little thing. And I've really been like the, the process of really deciding, okay, once you call the actors in and you give that set over to the actors, it's the actor set. So that one little thing that you want to adjust that flag, 
that time you called for the actors, that time is gone. <laughs> it's it's their place. And I feel like that's something that's, you know, like a it's it's important that creating that safe space or a place where they can then kind of, you know, have this have the room they need. It's important. We have a few college students um, who have questions about, I mean, you know, wanting to know how to break in, um, but specifically someone has asked for advice on their final year, if there's anything that they should really be, you know, aiming towards or, uh, yeah, just what to focus on on their last year before they're out in the world. I would say just having spoken to a lot of film students and, and you know, in schools, different kinds of schools. Um, you know, one of the things about uh, film school is that when you come out, you kind of feel like, oh, okay, you know, I know about filmmaking. And there's one thing about knowing the craft and it's a whole other thing about knowing about stories. Um, so there's two things I would say. One is, um, you know, read a lot, you know, think about, different stories that are out there. But also I think when you're coming out of here as a cinematographer, it's good to have, um, to do, to get as much work together as you can. So you can show people what you've done. And also I think, you know, in your last year, just remember that those relationships that you make in school are gonna help you when you make that yeah. transition. Because oftentimes people, you know, they work together with their film school friends. I mean, look at Spike. Spike is working with Barry Alexander Brown since the beginning. Barry Alexander Brown was was with Spike in NYU. How many years ago, right? So they and they've known each other for many, many, many years. And Spike is very loyal that way. But the film school is is important for that. If you can go to film school, then you know use your contacts. And also, you have access to some equipment, so it's the time for you to be able to put together some stories. You know, if you can put together a body of work. Reno, we had a question come in for you. Um, mm. Are there major differences between how you're treated in Japan versus the UK versus America as a young female DP? Hmm. Yeah, I think it was quite actually looking back difficult in the beginning when I was really, really starting out, you know, that I didn't have much on the reel, say I'm like year two of DPing been shooting bigger campaigns. Um, I think uh, actually working in Japan as a female DOP, it was better that, say, I established myself in the UK first. And then I, I'm basically, when I'm shooting in Japan, they see me as a foreign crew, although I speak Japanese, so, you know, I can work as a Japanese crew. But I think um, I had a few female focus pillars in Tokyo, and then they were um, kind of amazed that I was shooting because um, she was like, "You look like a child." <laughs> this thing, I was like, "I'm not that young." <laughs> but anyway, so she was like, "It's so difficult in Japan." I have to tell you, I've been focused putting for 15 years, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow." Um, so, because there's just some weird thing that the you know Asia and Japan they see like Western culture and Western like you know foreign being able to afford the Western things as like a luxury and status. So I guess like, you know, it was easy for me to start that way. I think if I studied in Japan or Asia, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, I just actually literally had a conversation with production about the job I'm trying to shoot in South Asia. Uh, I'm remotely supervising South Asia. I was trying to get a female DP on board you know, this job. I'm supervising but they're like, there's no one here that's kind of at the level to be able to shoot this one. <laughs> that made me feel quite sad. Um, so I think it's quite tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll change by bringing interns on, <laughs> you know, teaching them <laughs> and also the experience how to, you know, what Ellen and everyone was saying about learning how to set the tone and everything. That, that's something you can only learn by being on set and being around someone, you know, who you can look up to. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Also, I was going to say in making those connections, because I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about it. we're all very conscious of creating a more diverse crew and, and our crew being more and, and having our crew being more representational 
of the community in front of and behind the camera. And so training is a really important part of that because at the moment, if you, um, because as female DPs, there's still, I think we're 5% or something worldwide of, of the mm. um, population of DPs. And so we're all very conscious of that and how we got to where we were. So we all want to push it so that the way that we can hire more diverse crew and, and people in our department is by training and, and making a conscious effort to bringing these people in, in from the bottom. Yeah, completely. Well, we are wrapping up. It has been, this has blown by. I don't know about you guys, but we could keep talking. Um, but I'm just curious, I mean, do you guys have any kind of last remarks you want to touch on? <laughs> I mean, I think for the most part, it's important for us to have these conversations. Um, keep the dialogue open. And yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how the world changes daily right now. Um, but, you know, keeping in mind the future generation and ensuring that they're on sets with us. So I just wanna thank each of you for joining us today, for having candid conversations like this. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. <laughs> thank Bye. you. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you everyone Bye. for watching. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thanks, Good night, Bye. Have a good Bye. shoot, Rena. Good night, Rena. Thank you. Mandy's ahead of us. She's one day ahead. Oh, God. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Right. Ciao. Bye, guys.